day one of the Nano Gang. Bangs on. You know, every time I think you've come up with the most obscene version of that, you outdo yourself. I'm very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, J. Daniel Sawyer. And I am one of your other hosts, Kitty Nikian. Have you forgotten your name again? Yes. You need I'm to tired. Look, you need to look at your driver's license before you do recordings. We've talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's there to remind you of what your name is in witness protection. Uh-huh. <laughs> I am your other host, Jane Smith. <laughs> Trixie, you're not a host. You've got to be quiet. Good girl. Our third host, Gail Carriger, will be joining us on Monday, and until, which means you'll get the episode Monday evening. But until then, we're holding down the fort here. Um, boy, uh, today, oh boy, oh boy, um, I wrote stuff. You wrote stuff. I, I actually stared at the computer screen for about 12 hours, and then I, in a flurry, wrote stuff at the end. Um... It turns out I was hung up on the title for quite a long time. This is one of those books that needed, I needed the title in order for it to set the tone. But I came up with the title and uh, I got the first scene and a half written. I'm amazed that you just didn't call it Nano Gang Bang Book One or something. But I'm not writing an erotica. <sighs> I mean, Nano Gang Bang sounds like a bunch of like, one-inch-high pixies engaging in group sex. That sounds hilarious. Hi, we're a family-friendly show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, so when I started yesterday, I, I'm the only one with the word count here, so I'll go first, and then you've got a task count, so you'll go second. I started off yesterday with 472 words of notes and uh, ended the day with 2,534 words, so subtracting the notes, I had... 2,062 words, which is a respectable start. I would like to have started out stronger, but this is a real stretch for me, and it took me a long time to sort of figure out how to open this book, because... But the opening is so great. Yeah, she read it. She was impressed, so that's usually a good sign. But, um, yeah, no, I've run into some really interesting structural challenges in figuring out how to approach this story, which I'll go into in depth when Gail and I catch up on Monday. But uh, meantime, Kitty, you are doing a nano pubmo, busmo, nano busmo. <laughs> a small business month. Or maybe it's Najabbo. What the fuck are you it's talking? January. Najab. It was never. November is not part of the NaNoWriMo portmanteau. Yes, it is. No, it's National Novel Writing Month. Oh, right. National so November would, Writing Month makes no sense. Right. So it obviously wouldn't be a Nano Pubmo anyway. It would be a NaPubmo. No. Ugh. I, I, I got to go, go fix my car as well. Okay. Yeah, obviously we're too tired to be doing this. So bring <laughs> us up to date on your tasks. You had. Uh, a, I a had a tasks. I had a buttload of tasks, and I got done um, one editing task and some background shit that needed to get done. Background shit. Yes. <laughs> Are you building a manure pile? I don't know about. Yes. <laughs> Are you doing it behind my photo backdrop? Because <laughs> that would not be good. 
I'm doing it as your photo backdrop. No! It's a great color brown. No, <laughs> no. God. No, no, what do you mean by background sh Because I'm actually just punchy enough that I don't even remember how many tasks you had to, <laughs> to do it. So you're gonna have to manage that when you put up the leaderboard with this post. <laughs> uh, I don't remember now. I, I did something, I think it was marketing something. Okay, so you knocked out one editing task and one marketing task, and how many tasks do you have A thousand. total? I do not remember. Okay, I'm so you have to. Okay, so I'm tired check and out. I don't have my list. All right, so those of you listening, check out. We have to do this with a list next time. Okay. Um, those of you listening, check out the leaderboard to see what kind of progress Kitty has made, and um, uh, tell us about your editing task. My editing task was to do the final um, proof edit for um, Robert's rules. And by proof edit, you don't mean proofread. You mean editing the proof that editing, you had printed up. Editing the proof to make sure that there were no errors that were missed, no um, style or design error, design flaws that didn't jump out mm -hmm. in the um, PDF. Because mm -hmm. for some reason, you could look at the PDF all day long and not see anything wrong with it, and then you get it printed out, and you're going, what the f***? Did I just send out? Cool. So you got that done. So inputting the changes and then Robert's rules, the paperbacks will be ready to ship to the backers and release to the general market. And then you're going to do the same thing with uh, Secrets of the Heinlein Juvenile. Yes. So that we can get that in paper format to the backers and yes. onto the general market. Cool, cool, cool. All right. And uh, your marketing task, what are, you do what are you doing for marketing? That was what I didn't remember. Oh. But you made a note, so... Yeah. All right, so roll well, that into tomorrow's update. All right, well, that uh, is less structured and interesting, and I have no good way to finish than it normally is, so we're starting out on a very weak note. But you can strengthen us by going to the forums and signing up and joining up and keeping us posted on your progress and submitting questions for us to answer during NaNoWriMo for either me or Kitty or Gail or all three. And Gail will do questions with us on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday when she is here. So thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you hopefully more coherently tomorrow. tomorrow. And also, stay tuned after the for another question that we had uh, pre-produced, and we're gonna just going to drop it at the end of this episode. Have a good one, and good luck on your words. Bye. Welcome to The Questions, episode 993. Today we hear from Nicole, who asks, I'm wrestling with whether I should put up a language barrier in my novel. Part of me is like, that's going to be a lot of work. Although, having lived in different countries and a language teacher, I have a good background knowledge on it. Do you know of any good books where they've done a good job with this? I have two POVs with different backgrounds. Would it whiplash the reader when they speak one way, but in their heads they are fluent in English? Um, it depends on how thorough the language barrier is. First of all, um, I want to encourage this kind of thinking. This is you bringing to the table something that's really core to who you are and what you care about. And that's going to be one of the things that makes a huge difference and makes you stand out in your field of uh, in the field of competition. You want to bring those things you care about into the writing in a way that affects the way you tell the story. 
So this is a really good idea. The how of it can be complicated. Um, some of the best stuff I've seen, and this is going to tell you how weird my reading tastes are, but some of the best stuff I've seen for this, uh, this way of doing things is in historical fiction, especially that concentrating on the medieval period where there's a lot of linguistic mixing going on. I'm currently reading uh, Gary Jennings' The Journeyer about Marco Polo. His book about his book Aztec about the Aztec Empire did the same thing. He freely mixes several languages in the narrative. The um, the actual dialogue is usually in English, as is the narrative, but there's terms thrown in here and there when there's not a free translation available, and then there'll sometimes be an explanation of what the term means. Sometimes there won't be. Umberto Eco did this with Latin in Name of the Rose uh, quite freely, and he just expected the reader to keep up, as Umberto Eco would, because Umberto Eco is that kind of guy. So um, the using of foreign terms and foreign turns of phrase and whatnot can add a real layer of texture and richness to your book, but you want to do it in such a way that the reader that does not know that language can follow what's going on. Within those rather broad guidelines, you've got a tremendous amount of latitude, and I've seen writers tackle it dozens of different ways. But it is very unusual in today's fiction because, frankly, most readers don't even speak English very well. <laughs> um, uh, it's, and it's not because everyone's illiterate. It's because everyone's uncultured. For the last 20 years, everybody's reading has been mostly the Internet. And this is true of school kids, too, because we want to crush the digital divide. And so in a lot of schools, at least uh, Internet and current events, reading has replaced reading in the classics and in deep culture and in poetry. And that has linguistically impoverished the... Um, the reading public. So you may have to handhold a little bit more than you would have a generation ago, but raising the bar in this way, okay, especially if you catch on and get a big audience, can only be a good thing. Because uh, being connected, as you know, as a language teacher, being connected to different languages connects you to different ways of thinking and opens you up to different parts of the culture both your own local culture and the broader culture you're embedded in. I would like to add that I have seen this done in um, epic high fantasy. And, That's right. Um, I, I'm thinking of particularly of Tad Williams' Green Angel Tower series. Mm. Um, I think it was that one. Where there are um, like these dwarf characters that ride wolves in there. And the main characters that are part of the kingdom speak English and then there are peppered in an increasing amount of, of the um, wolf riders language mm. depending on how much interaction they have and I, I've seen it in in some science fiction as well where in those cases you would have to make up the language it would not just be mm -hmm. an earth language but you can do that. Um, uh, Tolkien did it with uh, Cinderin and uh, mm -hmm. the other variety of High Elvish, which I can't remember right now, and with the Black Speech of Mordor and mm -hmm. all sorts of other languages in his world. And Heinlein developed a um, a pigeon language for the moon 
on... Uh, I forgot about that. That's right. In uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, it was a mishmash of uh, Russian, French, and English. Yeah. And, of course, Anthony Burgess, being a linguist, really went to town with this kind of stuff in A Clockwork Orange. Ooh, he told yes. the whole book in NADSAT, and so you actually have to learn the language to read the book. Right, and, and that, that was kind of like a really weird um, evolution of um, the London rhyming. Yeah. Cockney rhyming Cock- slang, baby talk, and Russian is what it's a mix of. Wild. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it can work, and it can rock. So go forth and linguistify. I think I'm going to stop there because that sounded stupid. Goodbye. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.